Before we get started this morning, I need to, where did Bud go? Where's he at back there? There he is up front. No wonder I didn't see him. I need, I need to ask you a question. But, you know, y'all have seen Bud playing the fiddle for the last two weeks. But I need to ask you, so now, I know when you play with country music, it's a fiddle. But what, if you play with a flute, does that make it a violin? You don't know either, huh? So, <laughs> anyway, that was a, wasn't it? If you will, if you will, get your Bible and turn with the Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, 21. Excuse me. Matthew 21. We'll be looking at verses 10 through 17. And let me read the story to you. And I'm going to ask if you would, in honor of God's Word, would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 10. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, This. Jude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him, Jesus, in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have per- perfected praise. Then he left them and went out to the, of the city of Bethany, and he lodged there. Let's go to the Lord. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for the story that we just read that just it seems so familiar with us. But, Lord, sometimes we read over these stories and we sometimes don't see what Jesus is really saying to us. And, Lord, I know I'm guilty of this many times. And, Lord, we just ask you now as we expound upon this passage that you would just open our hearts and eyes that we may see what you're really saying to each one of us and how it applies to our lives and how we can take this word of yours, not of mine, but of your word, and, and dwell it in our hearts. And, Lord, burn inside our hearts that we will have a burning desire to do what you want us to do. Thank you, Lord. Go with us to the rest of the service. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 21, verse 10 through 17. We're going to refer to there seven times, so if you want to keep your finger in there or leave it open, however you want to do it, that's fine. But Matthew tells us of someone who came to the temple, and when he came to the temple, he found religion. But it was a religion that had indeed forgotten and lost its purpose. This is a very fascinating story from the life of Jesus that begins in Matthew 21, verse 10, and we read through verse 17. And I think that as you look at this passage, Jesus still comes on a regular basis, and when his people forget their purpose, he confronts them. He wants us to stay on purpose. And you say, well, we're a a church. Of course we're on purpose. We're here to serve God. That's not always the case. In fact, many times churches get off the course of where they need to be. And so this is a passage about speaking to you and I, and each one of us are in this story. I shared with you last week that when I was taking seminary courses, we had one instructor. He always asked at the end of classes, now, how do you apply this passage to your life? And I want to do that this morning. We just read it. We'll read it through again here in just a few moments, bits by pieces. But 
think about how do I apply this to my life? Or does it even apply to me? Maybe it doesn't even apply in your situation. But primarily, I'm talking to the church this morning. Now, not necessarily Robertson Baptist Avenue Baptist. Robert, what are we? At? Robertson Avenue Baptist Church. But if you're here today, you're from another church. I know we got visitors with us that are here for the baptism and things. So how does this apply to you? How could you take leaving here this morning and use this passage, not necessarily what I'm going to say, but what Jesus just said, and apply it to your life? That's what's important about this passage today. He confronts them. He cleanses them. And he restores them if they will let him do that. There are three thoughts that I, want, that I think flow out of this passage that we have today. Number one, the people of God can forget their purpose. Now, wait a minute. How do you say we do that? The people of God can forget their purpose. Let's make that personal. We as God's people can forget our purpose sometimes because we get so busy doing the things of the church, we leave out the God of the church. We can get so busy in activities. And we like to have, you know, Baptist people like to have activities. You've got to have somewhere to go so you can take a casserole every night of the week, just about. We like to eat and get together and fellowship and have a good time. There's nothing wrong with that. But, folks, having a good time is not what we're here for. That's part of it. But we're here to learn what Jesus Christ wants us to do individually and how it affects our lives, how it looks at it. Verse 10 of this passage we just read says, And when he, came, when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Now, there's nothing wrong whatsoever when Christ and the cause of Christ shakes the attention of a city. Let's put it that way. We call that revival. I mean, have you ever seen or heard of revivals that take place and the whole city begin to get involved? I mean, go back and read some of the great historic revivals in our history of a nation, and you'll find thousands of people that came together and prayed and things began to happen all this. I believe with all of my heart that God wants to do that today. But I'm just not sure we as the modern-day Christians are ready for that. Watch what happened in the situation. I think that really... That ought to be our prayer, that the presence of Christ and the impact of Christ ought to shake each one of us up. It ought to come in our lives and make changes in us. There ought to be something that's different. Whenever I'm going to use Randy for just a moment. She was baptized just a few minutes ago. I mean, her life began anew the day that she accepted Christ. Now, she would have been baptized earlier, but Matt had left for the Marines, and he was in basic training. She wanted to wait until he got back. Like I said before, they're getting married tomorrow. No problem with that. But the day that she got saved is when it changed her life, as well as every one of us in the room. We all had that day when it began in our lives. Our life became new. That's what baptism is. It's just a picture. If we had a picture hanging on the wall, we don't have it here. On the wall, it's, I could ask you, is that, a pic, is that a picture of a horse over there? Well, no. Well, yes, that's a horse there. No, it's not. It's a picture of a horse. All baptism is, it's a picture of what happened in somebody's life. They were lost. Now they're saved. That pictures the old life died. The new life rose again, just like Jesus did. That's what's happened to each one of us if you're a child of God. But let's go a little farther. <clears throat> the truth is where Jesus is free to work in power, 
when he is free to do his thing in our hearts and our lives and our church, there will be a stirring of activity. Things will begin to happen. Things will take place. All of a sudden, there'll be something going on. We can't put our finger. What is it? It's Jesus moving in our midst. And oh, how I believe we long for that day when Jesus would just sweep across this church and every church in Copper Skull, for that matter, and just light a fire under us and get back where we need to be. And maybe it even spread across this nation because God knows how desperately we need revival in our nation today. There will be people saying things like, well, who is this? What's happening? What's going on here? What's taking place here? We call that revival. Where God just starts working and moving so profoundly in the lives of his people that it just flows over into the world. Now, I've only been involved in one revival that was really a just outstanding revival. I hate to say that, but that's all I've been involved in. I've all, and this wasn't even when I was a preacher. This is sometime else. But it just started with a group of people, similar to what we've got today, and God began to move in their lives. And at the invitation, our altar was full of people, not only being saved, but also rededicating their lives and these kind of things. In other words, getting right with where God is. Those things used to happen quite a bit, but we've got so hardened as modern-day Christians, we don't see it very much anymore. In fact, we don't even see revivals much anymore. We just don't have them. I remember when I first became a Christian, revivals lasted for two weeks. Now you're lucky you can go for three days because people won't come out and support it. We've lost that burning desire to serve God, to do something different than what we've always done. When God just starts working and moving so profoundly in the lives of his people that it just goes out into the community, out into the world, out into whole cities, can be shaken and begin to ask, who is this? What's happening here? What's going on? And in the irony of this passage, those who should have recognized Jesus never did recognize who he was. Did you catch that? The religious leaders never did recognize who Jesus was. Now, think about that for just a moment. Because for over a thousand years, their history told them the Messiah's coming. The Messiah's coming. Here he walks into their church, and the religious leaders didn't even recognize who he was. Did you see who recognized him? <coughs> Excuse me. Did you catch that as we read through that passage? <coughs> it was the Galilean crowd, the peasants, the fishermen folks, the little children on the street. They were able to say in verse 11, so the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Doesn't that seem odd? That the religious leaders didn't know who he was. But the kids and the everyday common people knew exactly who he was. Doesn't that tell us something? It's not about religion, folks. It's about Jesus. That's what it's all about right there. If we're worshiping religion, we're a failing place. But when we start lifting up Jesus, we can't fail. It cannot help but succeed. Let's go a little farther here. <clears throat> who is this? The keepers of the temple and all the officials of the faith asked that question. Well, who is this? Who is this man? And the mob was those, the, and it was the mob in the streets and the little children. Catch that very importantly. This is Jesus. Didn't don't you know him? This is Jesus of Nazareth. It's very interesting to me that the religious people in the city 
a city, again, that had been preparing for this event for over a thousand years. It was in the Old Testament. They were looking forward to Jesus coming. And yet when he came, they didn't even recognize him. Now, how do we apply that to our lives? I wonder if Jesus were to come back today, whether we'd recognize him or not. Now, think about that. I don't know. Now, we probably wouldn't recognize him. The pictures we've seen, it probably wouldn't look like that. Look like that. But would we recognize Jesus? If he walked in the doors one day, had a seat, and just sat there in our midst, would we even recognize who he was? Could you tell something different about him? Did you catch that the little children recognized him? Who caught it? The everyday children began to say, What's wrong with you? That's Jesus of Nazareth. Where you been? Well, we've been in our churches studying the Bible. Well, maybe you need to get outside the doors and see the people. It's so interesting that when Jesus came, it was the least likely people of all who recognized him and who embraced him and who received him. Church, it's easy for us to do with the Bible in general to keep stories like this at a distance. To keep it there 2,000 years ago, one thing we need to do in our own lives in every story in the Bible is ask the question, Lord, where am I in this story? Am I in this story? So here's a hard question for you this morning. If Jesus were to come to this community, if he were to walk into our church, is there any possibility at all that we would fail to recognize him when he came? I don't know. I'm not sure. I think there is that possibility. Another way to ask that question is, would our plans be his plans? Would our mission be his mission? Would our purpose be his purpose? Would our concern be his concerns? And would our interest be his interest? In other words, what we're doing today, would that be what Jesus wants us to do? Watch this story. Again, I think that's a very good possibility. Would the kind of people that we think are really his people be the kind of people that would really come and seek him out and go with him wherever he was at work? And then there's always that little eerie feeling that if Jesus were to come to Robertson Avenue Baptist Church, some of us might not even recognize him. Think about that a minute. Jesus might be sitting beside you this morning. You say, wait a minute, what are you talking about? He can't be doing that. No, but he can be there in somebody else's form. Maybe somebody that loves and cares and reaches out, has a desire to help people. That's a part of Jesus right there. And I know we've got people like that in this church. But do we recognize them when we see them? One thing I've noticed about this church, and we're not a large church by any stretch of the imagination, definitely not a wealthy church, but yet we've got people that care. And I believe one of our greatest assets is the people of this church because they know how to care about people. I've seen it too many times. People have needs, and all of a sudden 15 people come around, and, man, they've got more things than I could ever imagine in my life. But that's good. We care about people. We reach out and try to meet needs. We're not a wealthy church by any means. But I believe we've got people that care. 
and people that want to see Jesus working through them. And what a difference that makes. Let's move on a little farther. How would we avoid that? I think we avoid that by having the same courage and honesty to ask, Lord, in this story, could this be us? Lord, make us keen and make us alert to whatever your spirit might be wanting to say to us today. Help us to be sensitive to your spirit's working so that when you do come to us and speak to us and reveal yourself to us, we may recognize who you are in this place. I think, church, that we forgot our purpose when we reverse God's priorities. In this story, these people had placed in the very center of the temple what belonged way out on the edge of the temple, in the parking lot in our case. And what belonged way, what was out, way out there belongs in the center of the temple. They had got things reversed. The church was no longer a place of prayer, as Jesus called it. It was a place of business now. Now, this is a passage you've read many times, and, and I think it's often misunderstood what they're saying because I've heard it used many times that, well, they're not supposed to sell anything in the church building. That's really as if you follow along here in just a moment. I mean, that's, that's important, but that's, that's not what it's saying here. Watch what he does. Look at verse 12, and you see what's happening. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold. Now, normally we stop right there. That sounds good. I like that. That's a good old Baptist idea. But that's not what he's saying. Watch what takes place. And overturn the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Just a little background for you here, so maybe it'll come in context more. The text has been uh, so many times taken out. This, this passage has been taken out of context so many times that we need to look at what was really going on here. When the Hebrew people came to the temple... They had to take their coins, the Hebrew coins, and change, and change them into Roman coins so that they could pay their temple tax. The Romans and the tax collectors saw an opportunity to make money off this. So they took advantage of it and made them pay more than they should have paid in order to get rid of the Hebrew money. And also, there were many of them that had to have a sacrifice. When you came to the temple, you had to sacrifice something. It could be a dove. It could be a calf. It could be a goat. It could be numerous things. But you had to have a sacrifice. And so a lot of them weren't farmers or ranchers, so they didn't have anything. So what they did is went to the temple, and the temple began to set up booths and sell doves and things, with only one exception. They began charging exorbitant prices. But the people had to buy them because they had to do a sacrifice. So consequently, that's the history of the story here that it's not so much that they were selling in the temple because that was customary to do. It was that the religious leaders saw an opportunity to make money, so they were using it to make money. And that's why Jesus says, My house shall be called a house of prayer. You've made it into a den of thieves. That's the history behind that. And so sometimes we get that way out of context a little bit. But anyway, that's why Jesus got so upset. It wasn't they were selling in the temple courts. It was that they were robbing the people blind and doing it in the name of the temple. Rather than come to the temple to pray, to worship, to praise God, to fellowship together and have their, their troubles and victories with each other about uh, testimonies and so forth, and to hear God's Word and be instructed by God's Word, at the center of the temple was the exchange of money to pay the temple tax. 
And Jesus was saying, you need to get this out of the center because this is non-existent. Get it out on the parking lot. Move it out there. Move it to the edge of the temple because this is a house of prayer. And they have diluted what it was. Now, that should cause us to stop and look at our modern-day church. In the midst of everything else that we do, whether it be a committee meeting or planning an order of services or preparation for the sermon or Sunday school lesson or planning a church budget, whatever it is, we need to look at, wait a minute, is this our priorities? How is this going to help us reach people for Christ? What can we do? What are we doing in our system that might not be really glorifying to God? He said, well, I don't know of anything. Well, I don't either, but... I'm just showing you what it does. Is it, is it what we need to do, or is it peripheral? Does it need to be out on the edge that's really not that important and we could do without it? But it's, maybe it draws a crowd for the children's department or whatever it is. You see, we need to get the right things right and push the rest out at the edge because sometimes they're not the important things. What are the important things about this church? On the outer edge to the chief purpose of why we are here. So what are we here for? Here's what I believe it is. Jesus Christ is alive and he can come into someone's life and forever change their life. That ought to be the center point. That's our purpose. Our chief purpose is to lead people to Christ and to do everything we can to grow them up in Christ and to offer up all the things that something that is legitimate and that is sincere in our own lives. That's why we come here. We don't come here just for the fellowships and the fun and the good times. Yeah, those are important. I enjoy them. The eating meetings we all have, they're good. But that's not the main reason we're here, folks. We're here to lift up the name of Jesus and watch people, young people, old people, whatever, come down this aisle and give their life to Christ just like Randy did a few weeks ago. And we watched her be followed in baptism this morning. That's what we're here for. By the way, we've got, I believe, two scheduled for next week. And so you'll be hearing more about that. But anyway, we'll get off that. That's why we're here. The point is this. We are debating inside of our churches, our conventions, things that are trivial and silly while people all around us are in danger of going to an eternal hell. Sometimes we fuss, even inside the church. Churches, I'm not talking about this one particularly, but I'm sure we do it too. Sometimes we fuss inside the church at each other. And God said, that shouldn't be in the church. Get it out on the edge. Take it out of here. It doesn't need to be. This is a house of prayer is what Jesus was saying. This is a place when you come together, you pray together, you work together, you stay together. That's what it's about. That's not why we're here. We have a central purpose, and that purpose is that people's lives might be rescued and delivered from Satan and from sin and from selfishness, and those lives might be changed immediately and transformed and made whole by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're a church. The point is that we are debating inside of our churches over and over and over, inside of our conventions. We're arguing about this way or that way or what's the best way to do things, and we have all these little arguments, and we're not getting it done, what God wants us to accomplish. 
it's always good to have, to, for us to stop along the way and really assess, assess what we're doing. In any way we have moved, what should be in the middle of it? What should be at the center of who we are? But another thing I want you to see in this text, look at uh, the next passage. When the people of God forget their purpose, they exclude people who ought to be included. The part of this passage that I think is so powerful is what was happening to exclude those who should have been included in the house of God. People were coming to hear a word from God, and they were met with the beating of animals, haggling and hassling over the exchange of money, making it impossible to be instructed by God's word. I think that's what made Jesus more mad than anything else. They were not allowed to hear it because all these other activities going on and haggling over money and how much it cost and how much you got to pay this, this sacrifice for and so forth. When Jesus came in with that whip of cords and turned over the tables and chased out the money changers, he was making this great visual statement that the church of all places needs to be a place for those who are seeking Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Seeking God are included, not excluded. So what is that really, what's he really, what's it good at? He quoted what he always does. He quoted scriptures. Look at verse 13. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. Jesus says it very clearly. My intention is, is that my house is a house of communion with God, a place where people can encounter God, a place where you can meet the Spirit of God, a place where you can meet brothers and sisters that will love you regardless of what you've done in the past. And, yeah, I'm looking at a bunch of people that's messed up a whole bunch of times, and you're looking at one that has too. We all have failures in our life, folks. We all have, as we call it, skeletons in our closet that we wouldn't want the door opened because we'd know it'd be embarrassing. But yet, we can still reach around and love them in spite of what they've been through. You don't know the situation that somebody else has been in, so don't criticize them until you find out. It might be you had a lot easier than they did. I don't know. I understand, and sometimes I've done the same things, but have you ever called, well, Robertson Avenue Baptist Church, that's my church. No, it's not. It doesn't belong to a single person in this room. This is God's church. This is God's house. Everything we got is because God allowed us to have it. We ought to be thankful for that. No, we're not a rich church. No, we're not a large church. But I believe we've got people that want to do God's will. And I believe they're satisfied with what we got. And look what we did. We turned this building into a beautiful building. Well, I say we. I don't think I had much to do with it, but it's, I, I've supervised them while they were doing it, but it, uh, they wouldn't let me hold a hammer. But anyway, but what I'm saying is, yes, this is God's house. He built this church, and by the way, he'll build it as big as he wants to also. It may not ever be 500 people strong, but if we let God build it, it'd be a place that people knows they can meet Jesus there. Let's move along real quick. This is God's church, and we don't have the right to say to any person that a person can or cannot come into this church. 
I know I've shared this with some of y'all in the church before, and probably more than one time you've heard it. But I want to just share something that actually happened to Judy and I a little over well, three years ago now. Right before we came to this church, well, within two months, the last day we were at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Texarkana was a Sunday night, June 1st, which just the other day, three-year anniversary. They gave us a going-away party and I mean, big fellowship and things, and one of those eating, meeting type things. And everybody came up and said, well, where y'all going to church? Where y'all, what church are you going to? And we had this church we'd been talking to, I'd been talking to for several months. And that asked us to come in view of a call. It's over in the east side of Arkansas, just off of, uh, I forget what, 40, I believe it is, goes through there. Anyway, I won't call the name of it. But I went home that night, and I, I told everybody, that's, that's where we're going. God's already let us know. We're going in view of a call as soon as we can set it up. That night I got home, and for some reason, all night long, it just something bothered me. And I kept thinking about that church. I thought, what is wrong? I mean, this is perfect, Lord. It's a good-sized church. I mean, they got everything we need. This is the one we need to go to. Open your eyes and look, Jesus. But I couldn't get any rest. The next morning, I got up, and I still... I finally called the state office in Arkansas and said, I need to know somebody that knows something about this church. I said, they've asked us to come give a call, but something just... I've got some questions. And so I got the number. They gave me a number. I called this guy. He had been the director of missions in that area and knew it well. I called him up, and I said, told him who I was and what I was wanting and so forth. And first thing out of his mouth was, let me ask you a question. What would you want to do there? I thought, well, that's a dumb question, especially coming from director of missions. I said, well, I'd hope to reach the community. And the next thing out of his mouth, as God is my witness, well, they wouldn't want that there. I said, what are you talking about? And here's what he said. And I almost hate to even say it, but it's, it's the truth. He said, you've got to understand, that community, about I think it's ten or 12,000 people, said about 50-50, black and white. And they've asked blacks not to come to church there. And I was just dumbfounded. And it, then he added, he says, if you go there to try to change that, you won't last six months. And I said, well, don't worry about it because I can't go there. I got off the phone, called this guy I'd been talking to. We became friends on the phone. I mean, we'd talked for three months at least. Had some good conversations to their committee and so forth. And I called him. I said, I need to ask you a question. Sure, ask me anything you want to. I said, I understand that y'all will not allow black people to come to that church. And there was a long silence. I said, okay, you just told me whether you say another word or not. And then he spoke to me and said, well, that is true, but we're trying to change it. And I said, yeah, you want me to come there and be the scapegoat, don't you? And he, of course, he denied that. And I said, well, just take me off the list. I can't do it. And then it wasn't but just a short, short time. I mean, now, Judy's still working. I done quit my job. She come in that afternoon. I said, well, we're not going to such and such church. Oh, where are we going? I don't know. We don't have one. Of course, I got that, what'd you call it, Lago stink eye look when she said that? <laughs> she, when she said it, I said, I don't know. So I told her what it was, and of course she agreed then. We didn't know where it was going. I had literally quit my job, had nowhere to go. And then about maybe, a, if I remember right, Dave, a few days later, Dave Titus called me. He was the chairman of this committee. He says, we want to talk to you and see if you're serious about coming down here. <laughs> I started to say, 
what's the crowd look like? <laughs> I, I didn't know. <laughs> but it's, uh, but he said, you know, he said, we set up a time. We went down there. And, folks, when I walked in the first Sunday, and I'm not taking this because it's us, I saw every nationality that God has. It's almost like God says, see, here's what a church looks like. Here's what a church is supposed to be. I want you to know, we've been here almost, we'll be three years in August, and you couldn't run me off. You're going to have to fire me because I ain't leaving. <laughs> but it's, I just want you to know there's churches like that out there. And this was not a small church. This church averaged 250 people. But they had such blindness in their hearts. How can you say that's a God-serving church when you eliminate people from coming to church? That's, that is not God-pleasing. I know I got off course, but let's close this out real quick. The third thing we can see, God can restore the purpose when the people of God have forgotten their purpose. This is the beautiful thing about God. I'm grateful that we have a God who comes, who wants to come and cleanse us and who wants to restore us. I'm grateful for that because I need it quite often. For a short time, the Lord turned the temple into a place that God intended the temple to be. Look at verse 14 and 15. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. That's twice in a few verses they were indignant. You think they got mad easy? Of course they did. They were religious leaders. Religion is not what we need, folks. We need Jesus. Look at that. The ill came. The lame came. The uninstructed came. Jesus touched them and healed them. How could you stop somebody from coming to church when they might meet Jesus there? I believe if you do, you're going to be held responsible for it for sure. No questions asked. The Lord comes time and time to cleanse His temple. When a church forgets its purpose, God will raise somebody up. Maybe one person, through the person, through that person, He'll begin to His cleaning process. That person will be infectious and begins to join in the church and just begin to spread the joy of Jesus. That's catching if you're around it very much. If you don't want to catch the enthusiasm of Jesus, stay away from some Christians because they got it. If you don't see Jesus in them, what use is that? Let's close the thing out this morning. And we, the church, ought to want that. We ought to welcome that. Our prayer should never be, Lord, stay away from us. Did you realize there are churches, probably in our community today, that Jesus has left the church? Now, I don't know who they are. I'm just saying there probably is. That Jesus has totally left the church. Oh, they may still be having church service. But they're not doing, what, not doing what God wants them to do. And there's churches all around. I heard a guy, uh, Bailey Smith, years ago, was the president of our convention at one time. He made this comment. At the time, I remember I was at a convention and he, he said this. And I remember sort of getting mad about it. I thought, that's not fair. He made the comment, any church that goes out of business ought to. And I thought, What? Say, so what about these little churches out in the country that don't have many people? They, they, just, they just exist. But when I get, began to think about that, I, I realized he's right. Because Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw people to you. So that tells us one of two things. 
either we're not lifting up Jesus enough or Jesus is a liar. I wonder which one it is. See, it comes down to every one of us. What am I doing in the church? What am I doing to lift up Jesus? Too many times we say, Lord, stay away from us. Don't come cleansing us. Don't come prioritizing, reprioritizing our lives. Don't do any conforming to your will. We want to stay just the way we are. And Jesus will say, okay, fine. Y'all stay that way. And then he'll say, I'm out of here. Now, if you want a temple that's per- per- perfectly predictable, that's a tongue twister, perfectly predictable, where nothing is ever disrupted, where year after year everything goes as planned, generation after generation, then God says you can have it. But he is out the door because that's not what he's after. Jesus is after a place that will lift his name up and watch men and women, boys and girls, teenagers be drawn to him through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not the power of this preacher. I can't draw anybody to God. But if we'll begin to lift up Jesus in everything we do, get excited about him, we'll see it make a difference. I really believe that's what we wanted. God's people at Robertson Avenue Baptist Church. The temple, back in Jesus' day, lost its opportunity. Jesus had come. He had cleansed it. And basically the religious people go in there and say, no, we're not going to have that kind of cleansing take place inside our temple. We're not going to have that reprioritizing our motives. We're not going to have that reforming presence. No, God, you just, we'll keep doing it the way we're doing it. And church, we could say the same thing if we were not careful. But I think this is where the story really ends up right here. Jesus doesn't have a temple for his people anymore. Rather, he has a people for his temple. Think about it. What did uh, Paul say a little bit farther in the Bible? You are the temple of God's Spirit. My Bible tells me that the moment you accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord, the Spirit of God came in to live with you, to guide you, to teach you, to help you, to be your conscience and to get you out of situations you get yourself into, or at least in my case, that's what it is. Because I am the dwelling place for God's Spirit in my life. God wants the freedom to move in your life and to change your life and turn it over, turn over some tables just like He did in the temple that have been put up and to cleanse you of whatever you need. What would that mean for you this morning? What would that mean for Jesus to come into your heart and do a radical reprioritizing your life? Don't just sit there and think, boy, this church really needs to hear this message. You know who really needs to hear it? You do. Each one of us, myself included. I want you to be honest with you that sometimes, and I can look at some of these other preachers, and I know that I'm sure they do the same thing. When I prepare a message, Jesus tells me, he says, okay, now this is aimed at you. Now you share it with everybody else. And this one hit me hard, right between the eyes. Would you say this morning, Lord, I really want to put you in the middle of my life. What is the very middle of your life? Your heart. Would you say this morning as a member of this church, Lord, we collectively want to make sure that we include those that you include. We want to have a great sensitivity to those who come into our midst after seeking after God. And no matter what they look like, 
how much money they have or anything else, we'll accept them with enthusiasm and with dignity. What would we do as a church if some old, what we call a bum off the street, walked in the door and at the invitation came down the aisle? How many of us would subconsciously maybe, what's he doing here? Wouldn't we? We may not say those words, but we'd be thinking it a lot of times. What problems he going to cause? That one down the street just may be the one that God wants to send here. Are we willing to accept him? Whether they had a dime in their pocket or a billion dollars, would we be more welcoming of the one that was rich? Of course we would. That's the kind of people we want to be around. That's not what Jesus did. Do you see who he brought to the temple? The lame, the sick, the wounded. That's who Jesus went out and got. Would you say this morning, I'm going to put the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for my sins, at the very center of my life. This morning, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we get ready for our invitation. But let me just say these words. You're standing as they're getting ready. Others may need a church family this morning. If your heart is, in the, is to be a part of this church, that's really trying to take place of prayer, a place to encounter God, a place to, that is trying to follow God's will and God's heart. We need you, and you need God. Maybe God is impressed upon your heart for some other need this morning. I don't know a lot of y'all here, even though church members, I don't know what your needs are. Maybe you just need to bow at the steps. Nobody's going to try to talk you into joining the church or anything like that. We'll be here to talk to you if you want to. We've got our deacons on the side over here. You're welcome to come talk to them. They'll help guide you if you want it. But nobody's going to try to talk you into anything. I promise you that. But this morning, do you know today that Jesus is at the center of your heart? If you don't, what a great way it would be to start today. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this day you've given us. And, Lord, we just ask that you would just use this passage, this message. Lord, not my words, but your words. And that, Lord, you would break our hearts. Maybe there's somebody here today that just needs some answer in their life. There needs to be something that's changed. They know they're going down the wrong path. They just can't seem to turn things around. And, Lord, maybe they just need an encounter with Jesus Christ. Whatever the need is this morning, Lord. We pray they'll have courage to step out. They can come down here at the front. They can go to our deacons or whatever, or just anybody else and say, would you pray to me? Pray with me. Whatever the need is, give them the courage to step out. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.